Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Tonight, we're continuing our series on a closer look at 12 ordinary men. Now, the last time we were together, I was telling you how we're going to get into talking about how some of them were actual thugs (laughs) and assassins and, and all that little interesting stuff that we don't ever think about when we're talking about the apostles. Um, And then, if you remember, because I'm going to do this really, really quick, just so that we're all right where we need to be, I explained how these 12 men were broken down into three groups. Does everybody remember that? Okay, great. All right, so group one always has who as the head of the list, at the head of the list? Oh, good, you remembered that. Okay. And the group always includes Andrew, James, and who else? Okay. Group two always features who first? Oh, you listened. Good. And that group also includes Bartholomew, who is also known as? Nathan. Nathan. Okay, you all sound very good, convincing on that one. Bartholomew, Bartholomew, whose name I really like, is also known as Nathaniel. And that's why we didn't know him, because everybody knows Nathaniel and named their children Nathaniel, but most people don't know Bartholomew. But I like Bartholomew. Maybe if I have another grandson, I'll tell him the name of that. Anyway, so Bartholomew, Matthew, and who else? Okay. Then we have the third group, and that group is always led by James, the son of Alphaeus. Oh, you're so good. And it includes Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, also called Thaddeus, and finally Judas Iscariot. And we noted that Judas Iscariot was omitted in the scripture that we read in Acts, the first chapter, because he'd already been dead by then. That's why he was omitted. But whenever the lists are given, Judas's, Judas Iscariot's name is always last. And it's always stated that he was the person who, in fact, was the traitor of the group. Okay, that's always there. So the three names at the head of each group seem to have been the group leaders. We could say that. That makes sense. The three groups always appear in the same exact order. First, it's always Peter's group, then the group led by Philip, and then the group headed by James. Now, another interesting point in the groups is the fact that the way they appear in that descending order is based on their level of intimacy with Christ. And I had explained to you, so I'll just explain it again, how... Most of us, well, pretty much everybody who's here, we're here because this is the teaching ministry of Apostle Frederick K.C. Price. So a lot of us have had the opportunity to be able to go and shake his hand and shake Dr. Betty's hand, and we're real excited and really happy to do that because, you know, and there are some ministries where you cannot do that. Then there are some of us who may have known him for 30 or 40 years, so therefore we may know him a little bit more intimately than if you just got to shake his hand. Then we have Minister Scott, who's part of the first family, so therefore he really knows him. So he obviously has a more intimate relationship with the apostle than any of us ever could. Well, this is how the groupings of these 12 men were. So I wanted you to be able to totally understand that. So... Turn with me to John's Gospel, and we're going to look at the first chapter, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 42, because the other thing 
is that first group, in all likelihood, those were the first disciples that Jesus called to himself. And that's important because that means that they would have been with him the longest and they would have occupied the most trusted position as his inner circle. Because how many of you know you can have an inner circle, but you can have a circle in the middle of that inner circle? Okay. So if we look at John's Gospel, the first chapter, I'm going to share this with you out of the Amplified translation, okay? So starting with verse 35, it says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked along and said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following him and asked them, what do you want? They answered him, Rabbi, which translated actually means teacher. We know that. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they went with him and saw that where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard what John said and as a result followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first looked to I mean, rather, sorry, he first looked for and found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means the Christ. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, that's going to become very significant as we continue moving forward with that, because we're going to spend a lot of time on the name. Therefore... We already know, like I said, that these three, the, the four in the first group, Peter, James, and John, those three, remember that, they were the closest inner circle, Peter, James, and John. These three are with Jesus as, at major events in his ministry. Um, we have a count of that. Um, for example, it was those three in that particular little small inner circle that were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they were also in the heart of the Garden of Gethsemane. And we already know that because he had asked them to watch and pray with him while he went up to pray, and they fell asleep. We already know that. So I'm not going to go over that with you. We did read it. We looked at, and you can jot this down if you weren't here, Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter, verse 1. Mark, the 5th chapter, verse 37. Mark 13, verse 3 and Mark 14, verse 33. And I shared all of those with you out of the Amplified Bible. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with me, I do a lot of different translations for one specific reason, only for clarity. And you will see, even tonight, I will share something with you out of one particular translation. Like here, we usually use the New King James Version. And that's good. We make it an understanding, but it may be a little hazy. So I will give you another translation because I want to make sure that you're crystal clear. Because it doesn't do you any good to read something and you don't know. Just like I'm still from the old school, I still to this day. If I am reading something and I come across a word that I don't know exactly what it is. Now, I did spend some time taking Latin, so that teaches you how to kind of figure out what the root of the word is, and you can try to guess, but I don't like to guess. I always have a dictionary on my phone or a dictionary with me. I go to the dictionary to find out all the different meanings so that I'm not ignorant of what it is that I've just read. So therefore, when I'm reading scripture, I do the same thing. I don't want to be vague. I want to know that I know that I know what that scripture means. So that's why you'll see me jump around uh, with a lot of different translations, not because I'm just trying to make it difficult. Yes. 
Okay, all right. I should have just read it. Matthew 17, 1. Mark 5, 37. Mark 13, 3. And Mark 14, 33. Got them? Okay, good. Group 2, as we've already said, dealing with intimacy, they don't really have much of a high profile at all, but they're still significant figures in the gospel account, so obviously that's important. Group three is more distant, and they are rarely mentioned in the narrative accounts of Jesus's ministry. The only group of three we know much about in that group happens to be Judas Iscariot. It's not for the best of reasons, but we know him only because of his treachery at the very end. And when you think about it, although there were 12 apostles, only three seem to have had the most intimate relationship with Christ. The others seem to enjoy somewhat lesser degrees of personal familiarity with him. Now we can learn something from this. As with all things, in this study, we're trying to take these 12 ordinary men and take their lives in juxtaposition to our own so that we can learn and glean from them so that we don't make some of the same mistakes and we can grow. Amen? Correct? Okay. The small group of 12, and you think about it, that's not that many people. That's like this size, 12 people, is still too large for one person to maintain the closest intimacy with each member in that group. Jesus kept three men very close to him, Peter, James, and John. Next came Andrew and then the others, obviously in declining order or degree of close friendship. Think about it. If Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, <laughs> in his perfect humanity, could not pour equal amounts of time and energy into everyone he drew around him, no leader should expect to be able to do that, or should we expect them to? Now that's very, very, I'm going to say that again. If Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, could not, in his perfect humanity, pour equal amounts of time and energy into everyone he drew around him, no leader should expect to be able to do that, nor should we expect them to. And the reason that you need to think about that and meditate on that a little bit is because we have a tendency to be self-involved. It's not that we mean to be. I'm not saying we're self-centered or selfish, but kind of self-involved. We just kind of think of everything regarding ourselves. So, you know, therefore, we may want to go and call Minister Scott for everything. You know, this didn't go right. Somebody didn't speak to me. Let me go talk to Baltimore. Do you really think, okay, are you in that circle of three people, okay, or four people? He really needs to take all the cell phone calls or whatever. I mean, he's so nice and gracious, he'll do it. But should we expect him to do that? Okay, if, no, <laughs> no, we shouldn't, but, but that's what I'm saying. We can learn from this to realize, no, maybe we shouldn't, okay? Maybe we should go ahead and lay hands on ourselves 
because we have hands and we can pray. It's one thing to ask someone to get into agreement with you. That's a wonderful thing. And we do that here. And that's great. But you know, you can do it yourself. It's not like you have to have somebody do it for you, you know, or so that's what I'm saying when I say we can learn something from that. And you need to kind of think about that in your own life with your own group of people that you call friends. Okay. I have friends. And I can say to you that my friends, because friend is a covenant word, you need to be willing to lay down your life for your friends. You may have a whole bunch of associates, and that's people that you know, and you may think they're nice and friendly and blah, blah, blah. But that does not mean that they are your friends. I can count my friends on my fingers. I don't have a bunch of friends. Okay, and I love all of you, but you know, we're family. <laughs> you know, we're family. So you know how that works. I mean, you know, sometimes you have family and it's like, okay, you know, hey, you know, uh, I would really maybe not to like to spend so much time with some people in my family, but they're your family, you know. But no, I do. I love all of you, but to say that you are my friends, where I'm willing to lay down my life for you. <sighs> I mean, I hate to, to be, but I'm, but okay, the other thing with me, you already know I'm authentic. Being authentic, not so much. <laughs> okay, I'm not Jesus. So we're just, we're family. We're gonna get all through all of this together. We're gonna spend eternity together and all of that's wonderful. But you need to think about that. You need to think about who are the people in your inner circle? Who are the people that you surround yourself with and spend the most time with? And that doesn't necessarily even mean your immediate family is in your inner circle, okay? Because you can have your, you know, your immediate family, and of course you love them, but that doesn't mean that they're you know, in your innermost place with you, that they really may not be, and that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but you need to understand. You don't need to, don't get caught up because the world constantly is luring us into how many quote unquote friends we have. That's why I'm all into, I understand the importance of social media. We all do, ministries do, we get all that. But don't take the good out of something and leave the bad. So take the good out of, in social media, you can reach people. That's the good. But don't get caught up in the trappings of thinking, how many friends do I have? How many people are following me? It is not about you. It is all about him. And the moment you start getting all that twisted, that's when you start getting into a real challenge. And you open the door for the enemy to start affecting your brain. Because then you start thinking, oh, well, this many people didn't look at me. Or this many people didn't follow me. And how come this person has this many followers? and I really don't. Hey, where does that come from? Is that in scripture anywhere? Do you really even think that's worthy of praise? Is that a good report? No, so don't get caught up in it. So that's just for somebody. Okay, so the 12, back to these men, were definitely a varied group. Their personalities and interests swept the spectrum, much like all of us today. We all have different interests. We're all different. That's good. Can you imagine if we were all like little Stepford people? No, we're all very different. So the four men in group one seem to be the only ones tied together by common denominators. And I thought that was very interesting because all four of them were fishermen and they were two sets of brothers. 
So that was even something else that was different, okay? They came from the same community and they had apparently all been friends for a long time. And I mean friends from childhood friends, okay? By contrast, Matthew was a tax collector and a loner. And Simon was a zealot, which was a political activist and a different kind of loner, just because of who he was. The others all came from unknown occupations. I thought that was interesting too, because we don't know what they did, all right? Their personalities were vastly different as well. Peter, who we're gonna spend some time talking about today. Peter was eager, he was aggressive, he was bold and certainly outspoken. He also had a habit of opening his mouth, sort of like a revving engine, you know, like he's really gonna go somewhere, while his brain, however, remained in neutral, which can be a little dangerous. John, on the other hand, spoke very little. He really, and it's really interesting because he wrote some of the most powerful powerful scripture. The Gospel of John is something, but he was very quiet. He, he didn't, he wasn't one of these people that ran his mouth a lot, unlike Peter, <laughs> okay? In the first 12 chapters of Acts, he and Peter, meaning John and Peter, were constant companions, but no words of John are ever recorded. Bartholomew, our famous one, also known as Nathaniel, was a true believer, openly confessing his faith in Christ and quick to have faith. This is shown in 1 John. Turn with me to 1 John, and we're going to look at the first chapter, verses 47 through 50. 1 John, uh, wait a minute. No, not 1 John. Forgive me. That's me not reading my own notes. John, John's gospel, not first John. John's gospel. Because I knew it's like 47 to 50 doesn't make sense. We're going to look at verses 47 through 50, and I'm going to share it out of two different translations. The first one is the Amplified. And remember I said the Amplified always gives you qualifiers, okay? So starting with verse 47, it says, John 1, the first chapter of John's gospel, okay? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, here is an Israelite indeed, and here's the qualifier, a true descendant of Jacob, in whom there is no, no guile, nor deceit, nor duplicity. Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know these things about me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were still under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, meaning teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus replied, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe in me? You will see greater things than this. If we look at it in the message, it says it this way. When Jesus saw him coming, he said, there's a true Israelite, not a false bone in his body. Nathanael said, where did you get that idea? You don't know me. Jesus answered, one day, long before Philip called you here, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael explained, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus said, you've become a believer simply because I say, I saw you one day sitting under the fig tree. You haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending to the son of man and ascending again. 
Something else that is significant is that he is in the same group as and sometimes paired with Thomas. Now we already know Thomas was what? He was an outspoken skeptic and doubter and wanted to have proof for everything. Now their political backgrounds are also different, okay? Because Matthew, the former tax collector, who was sometimes called Levi, Okay, so this is why you really have to study because if you're just reading stuff, you could kind of get like, well, wait a minute, who is who? Okay, so Matthew, was sometimes called Levi, was considered one of the most despicable people in Israel before Jesus called him. Now, I mean, you might not have known that. This man had taken a job. This is why he was considered so despicable. He had taken a job with the Roman government to extort or take by force taxes from his own people. And that tax money went to pay for the Roman occupation army. The lesser known of the two Simons is called the Zealot. Now, we can confirm that. Go to me to Luke's Gospel, Luke the sixth chapter, and we're gonna look at Verses 15 and 16. Luke 6, verses 15 and 16. And Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas, also called Thaddeus, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor to the Lord. Now, also, and I had shared, with this, shared this with you at another time, James, in this particular context, is also... They also looked at him and called him James the Less or James the Younger because his mother, Mary, is believed to have been the sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, so everybody got that? Okay, good. So the Living Bible puts it <clears throat> this way. Here are their names. Simon, he was also called Peter. Andrew, Simon's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, a member of the Zealots, a subversive political party, and then Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, also, I want you to look at Acts. Actually... You don't need to, because we already read that before. All Acts 1.13 does is really give you the same list that I just gave you, only it omits Judas Iscariot. And for the sake of time, because I really want to get more done, we're not going to read that. So, zealots, because we're going to spend a little time, were an outlaw political party who took their hatred, and that's the true word, hatred of Rome to an extreme and conspired to overthrow Roman rule. Many of them were violent outlaws. So this is when we get to the juicy part, okay? Since they did not have an army, they used sabotage and assassinations, I couldn't believe this, to advance their political agenda. Now think about that. We sit up and think of these wonderful little disciples, these great apostles. We would have never thought that they would use sabotage and assassinations. I mean, this is like worse than a game. Okay? But this is what they did. They were really, in effect, terrorists. So when we see terrorism going on now, it goes back to what I said to you last week. There's nothing new under the sun, okay? Nothing new. One section of the zealots were known as Sakari. Now, how that's spelled is S-I-C-A-R-double-I. S-I-C-A-R-double-I. 
double I, Sakari, literally dagger men because of the small curved blades that they carry. They conceal their weapons beneath their robes and they use them, check this out, to kill people that they consider political enemies. People like tax collectors. I know, right? Isn't that interesting? Now, Roman soldiers were also favorite targets for their assassinations. The Sicarii usually staged these acts of execution. Listen to this. This is no different than what's going on now. They staged these acts of execution at public functions. Why? In order to heighten the fear. Isn't that what they do here? Isn't that what's going on now? Same thing, okay? Now, the fact that Matthew, a former tax collector, and Simon, a former zealot, could be part of the same company of 12 apostles? What does that tell you? It is a testimony to the life-changing power and grace of Christ. The first person in the first group, the man who became the spokesman and the overall leader of the group, was Simon, whom he also named Peter. And you can see that. You can just jot down Luke 6, 14. But we're going to actually read it at some point. Simon, though, this is important, was a very common name. Sort of like, well, now they're not that many common names anymore because everybody's gotten a little creative. But Simon was very, very common. At least seven, there were at least seven Simons in the gospel accounts alone, seven of them, okay? Among these 12 ordinary men, two were actually named Simon. Simon Peter and Simon the Zealot, okay? If we look in Matthew, so turn with me to Matthew's gospel, the 13th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 55. Matthew 13, verse 55. And it says, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And if we look at it in the Living Bible, it's how is this possible, the people explain. He's just a carpenter's son. And they're talking about Jesus, I hope you know. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Okay, Jesus is half brothers are listed, as we just read, and one of them also has that name Simon. Now, Judas Iscariot's father was called Simon as well. We can find that in John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, verse 71. John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, verse 71, and it says, now, he was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12 disciples, was about to betray him. Then, okay, so that's now we've gotten two, right? So let's look at Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 6. Because we also see where it's mentioned. Well, actually, I should have you do this. Hmm. Oh, yeah, we'll look at it there. We'll see where um, Jesus also had a meal at the home of a man in Bethany, and he was actually named Simon as well. He was known as Simon the leper. So if you look at Matthew's gospel, the 26th chapter, verse 26, it says, now when Jesus was back in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. So it's just proving exactly what I just said. Um, and then we also see where he, 
look, if you look at, yeah, that's really the same thing. I don't want to keep saying the same thing. He also had another particular meal. He really went around eating with another Simon who was a Pharisee who actually hosted him at a very similar meal as Simon the leper. That we can find in Luke's gospel, the seventh chapter, verses 36 through 40. So I've given you so far six. Okay, so Luke's gospel, the seventh chapter, starting with verse 36, and I'm going to read it through 40 in the Amplified. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and when he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined at the table, now you know that's how to eat. <laughs> okay. Now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner, and when she found out that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears tears and wiped them with the hair on her head and respectfully kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission and anointed them with the perfume. Now when Simon the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. Jesus answering said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, teacher, say it. And of course, we know that he goes on and <laughs> he puts Simon really in his place. Now, the last Simon that I want to show you is the Simon that was drafted to carry Jesus's cross partway to Calvary. And that was Simon the Serene. And you can find that in Matthew's Gospel. You're already there. Just go to the 27th chapter and the 32nd verse. Now as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they forced into service to carry the cross of Jesus. Now, the Simon that we've been talking about in these 12 ordinary men, okay, he was considered the leader of the 12, and his full name was Simon Bar-Jonah, meaning Simon, son of Jonah, okay? And that's clear. You can jot it down. Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter, the 17th verse in the Amplified says, then Jesus answered him, blessed, happy, spiritually secure, favored by God, are you Simon, son of Jonah? Because flesh and blood, mortal man, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Simon, Peter's father's name, then was John, sometimes rendered Jonas or Jonah. Now see how this is, are you seeing how people have different names? I mean, when you stop to think about that, they have all these different names. We know people who have nicknames. Again, nothing new under the sun. Like you may know some people, you know, who are named Pookie or, or Sugar Bear or, you know, they have a nickname, right? Hmm. So we don't know anything else really about Peter's parents other than what I just shared. But turn with me to John's Gospel the 21st chapter, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. John 21, verses 15 through 17. And I'm going to share it with you because this is important. I'm going to share this with you out of the Amplify. 
So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do with total commitment and devotion? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as a close friend. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with total commitment and devotion? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a deep personal affection for me as for a close friend? Peter was grieved that he asked him this the third time. Do you really love me with a deep personal affection as for a close friend? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This right here, as they use the word friend, goes to explain the importance of that being a covenant word. It's not just a loose, you know, we use it very loosely. It's not meant really to ever be used so loosely. So I want us to examine this just a little bit deeper. So turn back with me to Matthew, where we were, just were a few minutes ago. Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter. And we're going to look at verses 17 and 18. Because I want you to see something. Matthew 16, verses 17 through 18. This time I'm going to share it at the New King James Version, okay? And it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In the Message Bible, it says, Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. People for years have taken these verses of scripture and have interpreted them to mean that Christ built his church upon Peter, making him seem more important then he should be. However, I'm going to prove to you, based on the word, <laughs> what is really meant. We're going to look at the same exact verses of scripture. This will prove my point of why you need more than one translation, okay? We're gonna look at the same verses of scripture, but we're gonna look at them in two different translations for clarity. So you can stay with whatever translation you have. I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified. You know how I love it because it's got the qualifiers. So starting with verse 17 in Matthew 16, it says, then Jesus answered him, blessed, happy, spiritually secure, favored by God are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood, mortal man, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are 
Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades' death will not overpower it by preventing the resurrection of Christ. Now, this is what I need you to see. Well, no, I'll do it this way. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Classic, which goes even deeper than the Amplified. Can you imagine? Okay, so it says, Then Jesus answered him, Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood men have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will tell you, you are Peter. Now, this is what I want you to see. When he's saying Peter here, he is using the Greek word for Peter, which is spelled Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. Petros is a large piece of rock, okay? And on this rock, here's, this is almost, it's not a play on words, but we know that Jesus commanded everything with excellence. He commanded language with excellence as well. So the first time that he mentions Petros, he's meaning it as a small or a large rock, rather. The second time, even though it's in the same verse, he's using it in the Greek as Petra, which is P-E-T-R-A. And that's a huge rock, like the rock of Gibraltar. You see, it's a big difference. I will build my church and the gates of Hades, here's the qualifier, the parts of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be able to its detriment or hold out against it. That is a big difference than just saying, on this rock I will build my church. He is explaining to you exactly what he's saying. We know he is the chief cornerstone. We know that the church was built there, but he was expecting something from Peter, but it had nothing to do with he was building the church upon Peter. Peter was just one of these 12 ordinary men, and we're going to continue to see just how messed up Peter was. And we're going to also see why he gave him two names, which I think is really, really exciting. But anyway, take note of the fact that Jesus chose, and this is important, he chose to give Simon another name, okay? We see this when Luke introduces him in Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter, the 14th verse. We see this. We read that, okay? When he actually tells him what his name is going to be. We just read that. Let me go back to it. <laughs> okay. Where he actually gives him the name and tells him that his name is going to be Simon, also known as Peter, okay? Jesus didn't merely give him a new name. This is real key. He didn't give him a new name to replace the old one. So it wasn't like um, Abram became Abraham or Sarai became Sarah. That's not what happened here. He actually gave him another name. Not, it's, it's also, he, in the scripture you see where it says he also called him that. It's also or included. It's two different names he was known for. This disciple was sometimes, whenever you look at scripture, you'll see, he was sometimes called Simon, sometimes called Peter, sometimes Simon Peter. But just like I said to you, you may know some people who have nicknames that might be called Pookie or Sugar Bear or whatever, okay? They're not called that all the time. They're only called that some of the time. Peter was like a nickname. And it specifically means rock, as we said earlier. 
as we already discussed that. The Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke, we already discussed that, the equivalent to it was Cephas, which is why earlier when we said Cephas means the rock, that's why it all ties in. This is also shown in 1 Corinthians, go there. 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at the first chapter in verse 12. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 12. The New King James Version says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. The Amplified says, now I mean this, that each one of you says, I am a disciple of Paul, or I am a disciple of Apollos, or I am a disciple of Cephas, Peter, or I am a disciple of Christ. Also, look at, you're already in 1 Corinthians, so just do me a favor and go right on over to chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 22, verses 22 and 23. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 22 and 23. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The Amplified says whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, meaning Peter, or the world, or life or death, or things present or things to come, all things are yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. The message, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to hear any of you bragging about yourself or anyone else. Everything is already yours as a gift. Paul, Apollos, Peter, the world, life, death, the present, the future, all of it is yours. And you are privileged to be in union with Christ, who is in union with God. We can see where people could misconstrue Peter being called the rock and its meaning because of how he remains highlighted as a leader in scripture. Because notice, I'm a, I am an apostle of this or I'm a disciple of this. So people automatically not totally breaking down, studying, and more importantly, that's why it's so important to be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit to overflowing so that you can do what? So that you can rightly divide the word of truth. Because if you just read it and gloss over it, you're not gonna put all these pieces together. I mean, maybe you are, I don't think so. So the point of the matter is, you've got to be able to break it all down and put it all together and tie it up in a nice little bow so that you understand it. But that's why I think Peter for years and years and years, and the Catholic Church probably still to this day, takes that whole thing of Peter being the rock and changes it into something different than what it was truly meant to be. So everybody follow that? Okay, good. I hope you, you're getting this. Okay, you're still in 1 Corinthians. Go over to chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 5. Because I think this part's a little interesting, too. And there's a different reason I think this is interesting, but that's why I put it in here. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9, 5. 
Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do others, as also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Here's Peter again showing up, okay? The Amplified, have we not the right to take along with us a believing wife as do the rest of the apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas or Peter? And then the Living Bible says, if I had a wife, and if she were a believer, couldn't I bring her along on these trips, just as the other disciples do, and as the Lord's brothers do, and as Peter does? Now, the thing I thought that was very interesting about this was, first of all, noticed it said in all three translations, a believing wife. So that right there is showing you something that's very important Gentlemen, if you have a wife, she needs to be a believing wife. That's, that's important, okay? Then the other thing is, notice they're asking for permission to bring their wives. They don't feel as if they have to be alone. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, you sit and you think of our dear brothers and sisters in other um, denominations who are bound to the laws of those denominations where they are not allowed to have wives. You know, that's got to be kind of hard. And then, you know, when you hear of all of these infractions and challenges and things they get caught up in, maybe it would have been better for them to have a believing wife that they could have taken with them so that they didn't have to get caught up in all of this other stuff. So anyway, that's just a thought that I had, which I thought was kind of interesting. Now, again, I'm keeping you on 1 Corinthians, so just go right on over to the 15th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 5. In the New King James Version, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5 says, And he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. Again, this is letting you know the importance of Peter. The Amplified says, And then he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. And then the Living says really the same thing. He was seen by Peter and later by the rest of the twelve. Now, another interesting part here that a lot of people may not pick up. Notice it says he, he appeared to Peter and then the 12, okay? Because Judas Iscariot at that time, he still did appear to him before Judas Iscariot went and killed himself. So it really was all 12 of them who did have the opportunity to see him. So I think that that's something that's important too, because sometimes you gloss over it or don't know it. Also, look at Galatians. I'm going to give you a different book to go to. <laughs> Galatians 2, the second chapter of Galatians, we're going to look at verse 9. Really? Um, okay. We're going to stop there, but here's the thing. I'll tell you, remember I told you, I'll always tell you what's to come. So what's to come is we're going to see how Jesus literally through the two names that he gave, Simon, Simon Peter, he literally, subtly was giving him hints of whether he did something wrong or not, just by what he called him. No different than if I say, oh, honey, so-and-so, you know, because I usually call Stan honey, and I may say Stan. If I say Stanley, okay, that is like, okay, all right, that's a whole different conversation, okay? Or, you know, if like a mom, and, and she's really, moms are really, I say moms because we're more emotional, so we think a little different. You may have a child that just has one, you know, has a couple of names, you know, like my brother's name, one of my brothers, um, his name was Arnold. It's old. He was old. I'm old. He was older than me. So it's an old name. Okay, but his middle name was Eugene. 
If my mother ever said, Arnold, Eugene, we all ran. <laughs> because we knew, oh my goodness, this is it. So we're going to get into the fact that Jesus purposefully, as with everything he did, there was a purpose. He gave this man two different names, and he used them significantly in two different ways. And you, it, it's just interesting. You'll even see, I, I don't want to give it away, but you'll even see certain things of how Peter himself takes on the name. It, it just, it's very interesting. So anyway, we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. We're going to get really into Peter. So if there's stuff you wanted to know about Peter and things you think you know about Peter, we're going to talk about Peter in great length. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.